back on the People's Show. What's going on? Back home. Feeling good in the 3 o'clock spot. Welcome back, coward. <laughs> Man, I don't have to deal with the egos on Canuck Central. Feels good. Back among the people. I'm Vic Nazar. That's Dom Shramati. Elon with us as well. 650. 650 if you want to be part of the show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650, our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll connect with Ken Priestley later on in the show. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online. At DunbarLumber.com. What have I missed the last couple of days here on TPS? I hosted. Josh hosted. We hosted together. I did a full hour of football talk Team. on Tuesday. I, I saw the tweets. I, I People saw were tweets. fired up. Mark Schofield, Formula One. Um, right, yeah. Aficionado. It's fantastic. So the, the F1 season started? See, like this is In what, Bahrain, like, yeah. See, last year, Randeep had us all covered. Our F1 guy every Friday doing F1 previews. Now it's Schofield. Now, okay, now we got Mark Schofield. All right. And it was a good start for, uh, oh, for Red Bull. Red right. Bull and Aston Martin. It was a terrible start for Mercedes. Yeah. Right. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff happening here uh, on the People's Show. I've missed it. You know, again, having to do with uh, Josh Elliott Wolf, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is. You know, in The Godfather, when Sonny's like, uh, you're not a wartime conciliary. I, I haven't had that for the past few days. I had to deal with Josh. Now I got my wartime conciliary here and Dom back in. So feel settled all over again. <laughs> Dan Riccio's back on Canuck Central. Uh, they're coming up at 4 o'clock. A long way to do, a uh, long way to go till we get there. Uh, we'll start with our conversation with Brad May as he joins us every Thursday here on the People Show. Longtime NHL, former Vancouver Canuck, uh, again joins us here on Thursdays. Lots been going on, Brad, this week. Uh, Canucks uh, playing the Leafs and get a win last night. Uh, we'll get into it all. Uh, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, Love and life. Yeah, it's it's fantastic right now, and the Canucks uh, are, are are on a winning streak, three in a row. Uh, I want I want to get to an, into a bunch of stuff with you that you know stemmed from even last Saturday. But let's start with last night's game. You know, it was it was kind of an ugly one. There's I was kind of expecting an emotional letdown over what we saw on Saturday, and so it's going to come at some point. Uh, but last night, hey, it was an ugly one. But they still kind of maintained their discipline and maintained their their principles of what they're trying to uh, learn and and develop with uh, Rick Tockett. Yeah, I watched the game last night, and I was um, it's amazing how talented these players are. You know, you got Zegras on the Anaheim Ducks and just the skill level, but um, the precision in their passing. What I loved, and, I, and, and Vancouver Canucks fans have seen this, but Quinn Hughes, his ability to move the puck on long um, outlet passes. I mean, he's a couple players, you know, one for a breakaway early and um i just i think what a player he is obviously he's got a ton of assists this year i mean he's an elite defenseman he's fun to watch i thought jt miller obviously even prior to him scoring in overtime um, i thought he was a real driver for the canucks and of course Pedersen, what a what a skilled player it's just a fun guy to watch i think with the canucks and, and under this new leadership 
Um, their penalty kill obviously has been amazing. They were able to score a goal last night on off it as well, um, getting up in the forecheck and they being able to bat that puck down and finding uh, Miller in the in the slot. But there's a lot of good things that the Vancouver Canucks are doing and um, can look forward to. So one of the worries, and, and, and one of the things we hear on the postgame show a lot from fans is, hey, we've seen this before. Even as recently as last year, obviously, under Boudreaux, they win uh, the, in that 57-game sample. They, they, they finish with the 11th best point percentage under Bruce. And, you know, while some people were saying, hey, careful, this is all in the goalie, um, it, it could slip up. But there was a lot of fan excitement going into this year, and they let him down again. There's a little worry well, of that happening again, where it's like, okay, yeah, you're winning games, but we've seen this movie before. Why can't it be different, and, and what do you see right now of why this could carry over to next year? Well, I think, number one, um, I don't. let's not get ahead of ourselves on Demko. Um, he's, he's obviously been injured this year, and he's got another level that he can play to and will get to. So I think goaltending is going to be all right for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, that's one thing. Their defense, clearly, we've had this discussion over the last number of weeks, um, hasn't been great, you know, from, from top to bottom. And that's something they're going to have to address, and that's partly team play, obviously playing together and, and being able to support one another, you know, within their system. But then you just need individuals to be able to step up. Like none of us thought Ekman, Ekman Larson was going to be as – you know, as porous as he, as he was early in the year, as well as Myers. I mean, Myers has shown a little bit more spark and spunk um, and, and physicality as well. So um, I, I look to, you know, this next six months being very, very important for, you know, just the growth of this team. And then, of course, free agency and the ability to, you know, move out players, but then for Rick Tockett and the new personality to be able to bring in guys that would be able to be able to play within that system. How, how much stuff is able to carry over from year to year? I think, I think in some ways we probably, it's a talking point and it gives us, you know, gives mm-hmm. us a conversation, but in some ways it's, you know, overblown, but at the end of the day, when you miss the playoffs, which is going to happen, um, you've got more time to, to get, I, I always say bigger, stronger, faster, but in, in today's NHL, maybe it's not that. It's, it's more about, you know, really heightening your skills and, and obviously um, your own skill set as a player, but also understanding that it isn't easy, so you can't rest on your laurels at all. Um, two years ago, the Canucks had a nice run, and, you know, they really fun team to watch, and they've been close. Um, I think this is a punch in the mouth for all these players and it'll show their character not only for like the, the new leadership, you know, to be able to play up, play for, but um, these character players to really identify who they are. And if they have to change their, their habits, they've got five months to do it. Yeah. Cause that was the point I was making last night on the post game show that, you know, last year is very much about vibes, right? Like, Bruce came in and instilled a bit of confidence in them, but even in the end of the season, like there was a lot of con- conversations about structure from the management group. And I-, I look at what's happening now, and they've fundamentally improved in a lot of you know high danger chances against and all that sort of stuff. And so this is the sort of stuff I think that's tangible that you can look at and say because it was confidence and motivation, that stuff over the course of a four or five months off season, that like that stuff's going to wane at some point, and you got to re-engineer that stuff for yourself come the start of the season. And clearly that didn't happen this year yeah for sure so I, I don't know 
if there's momentum that you take from one season to the next, out, unless you put in the work and the focus in the mm-hmm. off season, right? Um, I know that there's a real push from their their new new group, you know, running the team. Obviously, the head guy being Rick Tockett, um, that they're going to hold these players accountable and and maybe be in you know in their their sphere I, with younger players possibly working out in Vancouver, you know, under certain guidance, but. At the end of the day, you got to be really aware of who you're. Well, for for number one, you got to play well for yourself, but you have to understand what the guys above you expect of you know from you as a player. So, for the defensemen, I think, and I said it, you know, right when they made that that move, obviously with the coaching staff, um, they've got two quality veteran defensemen that have played in the National Hockey League, have won in the National Hockey League, and then one has coached a Stanley Cup winning team. Um, their influence on these young defensemen will definitely make the Vancouver Canucks um, focus on, on, on the right portion of the game. Offense wins games, defense wins championships, and if you can't defend in the NHL, um, you, you're not going to have a chance. So on the summer development, Rick talked the other day was even talking about you know how excited he is to get the, his hands on these players. You know, obviously you're thrown in the mix of a season, and he's going to have this opportunity to work with some of the young players, work on their summer conditioning. And and the phrase I've always heard from players too, when it comes to uh, you know getting to the NHL, is arrive, survive, and thrive. Right? Like you you got to get here. And then you just got to survive, and then you got to really work on your game. So these summers and off seasons are always so important for you personally. Like when you were starting to come up, like what summers did you start to realize? Okay, now like I'm I'm developing things into my game, and I am improving. Well, so every every year, obviously, you go in with a different blueprint, really, from from experience, from players you played with, and players that move in and out of your organization. You learn from everybody, and if you're really aware of the guys that you're looking up to, that you want to be, become or, or play like. And it doesn't have to happen in your own locker room. Um, watching the playoffs, for instance, on a team that misses the playoffs, um, you can actually learn a lot from the player that you're trying to emulate. And conditioning, I don't know if it is much of a factor as it maybe once was because 30 years ago when I started, um, there was a lot of players that showed up to training camp out of shape, right? It wasn't The, the offseason wasn't as important to these professionals, where now every player is in shape. So now where's the margin uh, of, of success come from? It comes from the focus and the, and the polishing of, of your skill set. And then maybe adding an extra tool to it, whether that's a, a player who plays scared, maybe doesn't have the confidence to be physical, you know, for the retribution that may come, obviously become tougher. Maybe take a boxing class, which is great conditioning in the, you know, in its own right, but getting that confidence, you know, as you move forward. So I know the game's changed. Um, the way I trained is, was, I think, amazing. The second half of my career, I had an unbelievable trainer that we did a lot of real unconventional things. And I was able to play 18 seasons, but over 19 years because of the lockout. Um, I'm very fortunate I can say that. And it was because every summer there was a different plan in place. And you, I personally you know, did everything in my power to execute that plan. Um, And it seemed to work out. But for these young players, being skilled or being quick isn't enough. You have to, you know, learn the game. If maybe defense isn't your forte, you have to learn where you should be. Watch video in the summer, which is really crazy for me to say it because I wasn't a fan of watching video. But it is a great teacher. Some players learn from 
from instruction. Um, so everybody learns differently. You got to know who you are and what it's going to take to get to the next level. Was there a preseason skate, like the captain skates, you're, you're back with your team, you're kind of getting ready for the training camp, but was there a, a skate where you got arrived back and you said, hey, I've, I've leveled up here now, I, I, I can see where I fit, or were there players that came in and you saw, okay, this guy's taking a jump right now? Well, yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's funny, you come back to training camp, I don't think it's competitive to be on the ice with your own teammates. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's somewhat detrimental because – that the awe factor or that shock and value um, where you come in and you're in great shape. Well, you show up three weeks early, you're in great shape, but after two days in, um, you, you end up, you know, um, levitating to, to the group, you know, wherever that conditioning level is. Um, so for me, I tried to stay away from those skates um, as my career progressed. But there's no doubt being on the ice with other professional players that are actually as hungry as you are or hungrier and possibly have a different, you know, method for their success. Um, you can learn a lot from your, from those players, whether you're playing a summer skate where you, where you grew up and where you're living in the summer or whether it's back in Vancouver, at the end of the day, you just got to put in the work and focus. Talking to Brad Mays, we do on Thursdays here on the people's show. Uh, so, Fans here are still kind of buzzing. They beat Toronto on Saturday, and it, it was probably the most charged-up game. Like it's a fun night when Toronto comes to town. It was, it was, it felt like 60-40 Leafs fans in the building, and both sides' fans were giving it to them. And the players obviously had their best effort of the year, probably the most complete game of the year as well. And I wanted to ask you because you played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like when you went into other buildings, could you feel that like this was the big night? for every other team in the league and every other player in the league, that when Toronto comes in, teams are, are giving you their best effort all the time? Well, I'd have to say that the Toronto Maple Leafs today was a heck of a better team than I played with or played for in Toronto. So the expectations of, of the Leaf fan that travels to, you know, that's across the country from the Foster Hewitt days, um, the growth of the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base, um, they're, they're hungrier today and their expectations are much much higher. So there's no doubt um, the Vancouver Canucks would feel that. Um, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it was actually amazing um, going into these other markets. Like Vancouver would be a big game because it's TV across the country. But going to Carolina, for instance, um, as a Toronto Maple Leaf player, it was four, five, 6,000 Toronto Maple Leafs jerseys in the crowd. It got you fired up. It was really cool. Their fans travel. They love their team. And... Um, I, I, I would say again, though, it's all about where you are in the standings mm-hmm. and the expectations. The team I played for truly was trying was trying to tank, and if it wasn't a try, um, we played bad enough that it looked like we were tanking to try to get a higher draft pick. And the fan base knows it, knew it, so the excitement wasn't as much. But right now, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they have a team that could possibly win. But the crazy part is they're in a division with the Bruins and the Lightning, and there's not a doubt or no chance for me to bet my own money <laughs> to, to bet on the Toronto Maple Leafs getting out of their division until they do. And, you know, the Bruins and Lightning would still be, the, you know, the apple of my eye for that, that division. But for the Vancouver Canucks to actually be able to play that game, and maybe they played a team that maybe wasn't as focused in Toronto, mm-hmm. but those are big moments for players. And, and certainly a win like that, you know, you can get a lot of, not only confidence, but, but energy. And maybe it doesn't you know, produce multiple wins, but it has this week. But 
to the end of the season, but there's moments in your career that, that are, you know, springboards and, and hopefully wins like that make a difference for your young group. Okay. Well, if it's about standings then, obviously you won a Stanley cup the season after in Anaheim, I imagine every team used the ducks as a measuring stick game to say, Hey, how do we fare against th- these guys who just won a Stanley cup? Was, was that experience exhausting knowing every single night you were getting the team's best? Well, here's here, the crazy part was for us in Anaheim, we got off to a really bad start. We started the season over in London against the LA Kings and we played it in the O2 arena. We basically, it was a 500 road trip. Uh, we won a game. It was almost like this whole experience was beautiful, but um, it was a distraction. We came back and played four road games, maybe even five more road games before we got home. And I think our record was one in six or one in five or whatever it was. And it took us a long time until around the Christmas time mark. Um, Scott Niedermeyer and, and I was going to say, yeah, Scott and Timmy would have joined late, right? They they joined later, and it really put us in a jam. Um, it was it was a tough one for Brian Burke to manage because you had your two best players. Um, that basically said, listen, I may retire. I'm going to take some time off. In the offseason, they, they ended up replacing. I think Berkey did a great job. He replaced Tamu with Todd Bertuzzi, and he replaced um, Niedermeyer with, with, with um, Matthew Schneider. Basically the same money um, that was, or, or a little bit less, but the, the pretty sizable contracts. Well, when those players decided to come back into our team, we had, an, we had an issue of tagging, a tagging issue where you, you could only have so many contracts, mm-hmm. and, um, and we had too many players. And so we had to get rid of guys. Um, we lost a Dustin Penner in the summer to, to an offer sheet to Edmonton, and all of a sudden we had to trade Andy McDonald, which really to me was, it, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Andy McDonald was a hell of a player. They traded him to St. Louis. We got Doug Waite in return, who, who we all love Doug Waite, but all of a sudden, he's he's a little bit lesser of a player than Andy McDonald was, and it probably and then Brendan Morrison the following season came in to Anaheim because Doug Waite left, and it it took years, a couple years, to to actually make up for that mistake of getting rid of that player. So for us, we we had we had a battle all year long. We ended up with over a hundred points, and we got bounced in the sixth game in the first round to Dallas, and that was a series that we probably should have won, but. Um, playing that way we took way too many penalties which wasn't about our skill level or our commitment it was it was focus and discipline and um, I think when you know how hard it is to win the Stanley Cup the amount of focus and energy it takes it's very difficult to get back and match that energy because you know how difficult it was last year and um, that's why I don't I, I think you don't see many repeating teams and that's why the Tampa Bay Lightning winning, you know, two years in a row in this era is pretty special. And then going back deep, you know, the next season as well, um, Tampa was a special group, special team, and, but they didn't lose their top-end players um, through contracts and stuff because I think the salary cap has been, you know, specialized a little bit more, and you got these guys that they're able to manage it. Um, the other part there, too, was in some ways it was maybe neg- or, um, negligent, but the Tampa Bay Lightning, Kucherov didn't even play, but he showed up for the playoffs. And they were able to use that $9 million, you know, cap hit that on long, long-term long injured reserve to be able to bolster their team. They made the best trade in the league by activating one of their injured players. And he'd been probably ready to play three months earlier. I have to believe that. But at the end of the day, um, Tampa was masterful 
the way they built and managed their team that year. Uh, before we let you go here, uh, you mentioned Elias Pettersson uh, last night, obviously uh, popping a couple of goals, and 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 just uh, and, and just here recently, like he's been so strong, and he's got 21 points in the last 13 games here. Um, you know, what's the next step for him? Are, are we talking about a top 10 player, top seven, top 12 player? Like, what is the next step for Elias Pettersson? I I would say um, I also like Kuzmenko last night as well. He, mm-hmm. he played very good. Um, his speed. Um, obviously, they they have a nice chemistry. Um, he gets to that next level of top ten player in the NHL. He he could get there. He needs support, and he needs a second line that alleviates pressure. Where where coaching decisions on the other bench have to make like who am I going to match up against? You know the number one line and the number two line. Um, Vancouver has to become a deeper team for for Pedersen to become elite. I mean he is an elite player, but for him, to, I think he can get to another level. Um, but that's about depth on this team, and I'm sure that's part of the mandate is not, you know, become a better team by sub- subtraction. They have to add some talented, quality players. And when they do that, all of a sudden, you know, there'll be more opportunity for the for the best players on the Vancouver Canucks. You need a deeper lineup. That's interesting. So, you know, for what he can control, right? Like, because a lot of things that you're talking about that are external of him. So from what he can control, you see a guy who can be that, but it, it's dependent on a lot of things around him? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I believe that. I mean, he's a responsible player. He blocks shots. If I heard last night on the broadcast, I think he's number one or two in the mm-hmm. NHL um, blocking shots, which I would never look at this player as a shot blocker. But that means that he's in the right position. He's pressuring the puck. Um, and then he's clearly got a great his hand-eye coordination. We saw it on a goal last night. Yeah. Um, the ability to bat pucks out of the air and be creative. Um, I, I see this player, he doesn't have to change. Stay the course. Obviously do whatever it takes to become bigger, stronger, faster. And I'm not even sure more skilled, but work on those things. Um, but I think it's about the, the supporting cast. And if he's playing with players that are going to get 80, 90, 100 points as well, all of a sudden, I mean, this guy now, he, he, he's catapulted into the top players in the National Hockey League. Top 10, you know, I think some fans would probably think that he is in the top 10. But you start looking around the NHL, and, and there's a lot of different, you know, personalities or types of players. I mean, the top 10 players in the NHL are pretty darn good, right? You could say he's in the top 30 and that's not a slight on any of those players. They're all quality. Um, he's definitely in that. I still think he can be better. Hey Brad, uh, you're the best. Always love these chats and uh, we'll connect uh, next week. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's Brad May here on the people show every Thursday uh, with myself, Bick Nazar on the other side. We'll talk to Ken Priestley, uh, about a couple of things, but I do want to touch on JT Miller. We're talking about Elias Pettersson there. He's having some success. JT Miller also having some success as well. And what could the rest of the season look like for number nine? But before we go, we've been doing this all week here on the People Show, giving out tickets to KISS End of the Road World Tour. Rogers Arena, November 8th. Tickets go on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. Ticketmaster.ca. If you are caller number five, we'll hook you up. 604 280 604-280-0650. Caller number five, walking away with a pair of tickets to kiss here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
Final segment of the People Show. Vic Nazar here with you, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Talk to Ken Priestley, or Mr. Fix-It, former NHLer, two-time cup champion as well. In just a minute from Dunbar Lumber. Wanted to talk about JT Miller, though, before we get to Ken Priestley. Scores a couple of goals last night. And low-key, you know, JT Miller's been on a bit of a run here all of a sudden. And, you know, squashing the concerns of that production uh, from back in December. 16 points here in these last 15 games for JT Miller. And you want to keep stretching this out here. This is even predating uh, Rick Tockett arriving. It's 28 and 27 28 points in 27 games for JT Miller. Putting them on the year, uh, sitting at 58 through 63. Now, how many points is JT Miller actually going to get to finish the year? As it stands, on pace for about 75 points. Is there a chance JT hits 80 for you? 650, 650. Where do you think JT Miller's points total, points total ultimately end up and let's uh, throw that by Ken Priestley our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber former NHLer and two-time cup champion Ken how's it going it's going great yourself fantastic three-game winning streak uh at, at a weird point of the season but nevertheless uh, they are winning games right now and JT Miller a uh, couple of goals last night ripping one for the OT winner and I was just posing the question like I, I think there's a chance because he's been consistent productive but it's still not really a hot streak. I'm talking, you know, 17 and 10 or something like that uh, for Miller. If he goes on a run like that, suddenly he could thrust himself in a different conversation for what he could accomplish this year point-wise. Obviously, the overall game uh, needs to round out from where we saw this year. But if he gets to 77, 80 points, uh, that's a pretty good year for JT Miller. Where do you think he ends up here? You know what? I, I, I'm not sure where to, to start with this because it, it – the team has taken such a it's gone such a different direction mm-hmm. in so many directions for for so long here that i kind of looking at how he has been uh just how he's adapted to all these different changes and and i i mean jt miller is jt miller he's he don't get 99 points in an nhl season uh, if you don't contribute offensively, and and this year when he when he came into camp and came into the season, um, expectations from fans or or just maybe himself were it was just going to take off from last year, and we're just going to roll into this thing, and here comes another hundred point season. But things didn't work out necessarily that way, and. And of course, the Canucks as a whole didn't work out the way that they thought they were going to work out. And it's taken, I think, a little bit of toll on 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 Miller because when you're expecting yourself to produce at a level that he was producing at last year, and and you're not quite getting there, um, it's frustrating. And 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 in JT's case, like he's a. Uh, He's a guy that doesn't hide much, right? Like, you see it. Mm -hmm. And if things aren't going well, you see it. If things are going well, you see it in in both directions. And um, I think the last, say, you know, talk at hiring or whatever it has, this whole team has 
kind of had to really figure itself out in many different ways. And, and I think his game and, 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 and Pedersen's game and Hughes's game, they're starting to be, you know, more consistent, more they're contributing in every aspect. Uh, and I think you're finding a happier place for JT Miller. I mean, last night's game against Anaheim, I mean, he looked very, very comfortable. Whether it was Anaheim or 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 not, he just looked very comfortable. And and that shot that you saw to win it in overtime, that's what you're expecting JT Miller to 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 do, uh, game in and game out. And uh, sometimes that's hard, but uh, that was a, that was a very nice finish. And uh, and and that's where I think he's starting to just get more comfortable with in his own place in the Vancouver Canucks. Just in general, too, on the ice, um, it, it just feels quieter right now on the ice where we see prolonged stretches where the game can drag on, and we got texts last night during the intermissions and in the postgame. It was, it was kind of a boring game, and yeah, like that, that's fair about last night's game. Like That's a true assessment, but they're, they're, they're not forcing the play either offensively or defensively. It's almost as if they're just waiting the, for the game to come to them and trying to take advantage of some moments as well. Well, I think that's kind of how they have to be. Uh, um, you know, they there there's been such turmoil, and there's been such inconsistency with the group. And I think it's it's not, uh, you know, from lack of trying. And I, and I think I've probably said this so many times. This is a, this is a, I still think a very good hockey team. It, it it's been dysfunctional. It's been from every every part of the organization. I think it's been it's been tough and, and it shows on players. I mean, it's, it shows on coaches, but you don't notice it in the, in the front office or anything like that, unless you're part of it. But the players is the, is the first sign of, of just things not going, you know, well in, in, in the organization. And, and I think that uh, the stability and, and, and the, and just the, the, the confidence that, that I think Tockett and his group have brought to this to this group of players has calmed them down, and it's and it's not so much a you know rush, rush, rush to the finish line. There's there's parts of this game where you want to go and you want to go as hard as you possibly can. There's also times where you just want to absorb what's coming at you, and hopefully, you know, things will be better five minutes from now. But um, I've I've no I've just it's. Yes, it was a boring game to watch last night, but it was also fun for me to see that uh, they 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 were working things out. You could see they right. were working things out. They weren't giving things up, and and they weren't they weren't trying too hard to to push the offense, and and they weren't just you know flipping pucks anywhere and everywhere. They were they were controlled, and uh, and and, it, and obviously they had to do their part, and and eventually they came up with the two points. Yeah, there was that element of okay, like how are you going to solve this, right? Like there was, a, it was a slower paced game for certain, and uh, real time problem solving uh, kind of shows itself. Now there, there, there's some good fortune in some of the goals too, uh, with bounces going your way. But nevertheless, uh, I, I like the idea that they're sticking to it right now, and it, okay, it, it comes to with a, a coaching change as well. What was a, a coaching change for you that either worked or? made it tougher? Like what was a big coaching change uh, that you had to go through and, and try to adapt as well? You know what? I, I went, I was, I don't know if I was called it. Uh, I don't call it lucky by any means, but in, in Buffalo, my first, my first experience at, at the pro level, I think we went through uh, 
four or five coaches and it was just it was never really stable and 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 that was a team at one time that went from like worst in the NHL to to picking Pierre Turgeon to uh, I think it wasn't until Ted Sater came along and it was probably four or five coaches later that we had the the number one team in the league for a little bit you know it still didn't it still didn't resonate with playoff success but it was it was a it was a it was a complete turnaround from worst to, to first for a little bit but it was it's never fun it's never fun when 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 there's just constant uncertainty or turmoil or you know with who's leading you or you know who's going to be in the lineup it's, it's just not a fun it's never a fun thing to go through and um i went through it once with uh with pittsburgh where you know bob johnson unfortunately he passed away and and scotty bowman had to come in but that team that I played for in Pittsburgh was so solid from from top to bottom, from from the first player to the to the to the twentieth player. Um, they were just a group, and 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 I think the leaders of that group, the the Mario Lemieux, the Paul Coffees, the you know Kevin Stevens, Mark Recchi, name it, Ronnie Francis. The, I mean, these guys held um, everybody accountable and. And and they they led by example, so it was very 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 hard not to follow. And um, they just got the best out of their team. And they really at that particular time, even with Bob Johnson passing away and Scotty coming in, um, the team the the team ran the team right. They just this is what we're going to do, guys. And until they sort this out, um, I'm going to you know Mario basically took the reins and said uh, this is what we're doing and and let's do our best. I want to ask you about Turgeon, um, because you know you you mentioned like he, he came in and suddenly the, the the group starts moving forwards and what that end of season was like, I guess in '86 or yeah the the '86 '87 season because here in Vancouver we're having this conversation of you know these games what do they mean and the players doing this and fans are kind of getting annoyed. What was the end of that season like prior to Turgeon even arriving? The last twenty games. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it was necessarily. It, it, you know, we're focused on Turgeon arriving. You're just. You knew he was another guy. One of those guys that you knew he was probably going to be number one overall, right. um, and you knew you were going to get that player. Um, you never really, uh, as a player in on that team, you never really focused with that. You just wanted because your team wasn't doing very well and it wasn't going to make the playoffs and. And it was a, there's a downer in that, especially when you're a sure. competitive pro athlete. You 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 you're not happy with the results that are on the ice, and and you know what? Like if you're the top two or three guys, your your future is is a for sure. But if you're, you know, bottom six or or just kind of a, a guy getting called up, uh, you know, every once in a while, uh, there's room to to make an impression, and and that's what uh what we had to do i was a young player i think i was only maybe my second year in the league and and i was coming out of a junior a junior career that was that was very highly offense high offensive game and um and and you were trying to come in and make a make a statement for yourself in the nhl as hopefully being an offensive player and um here they are you know you know struggling to score goals and 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 you're just trying to compete as hard as you can to stay on that team whether or not the next guy coming in next year was was Pierre Turgeon or not you know you just wanted to do the best that you could do for your career and um 
obviously when Pierre came in, I mean, he was an exceptional player. I mean, he was one of those guys that uh, you're fortunate to draft first overall and, and he has the impact that he has and, and a lot of young guys looked up to him and, and became, you know, good friends with him for sure. How, uh, how jarring was it that first practice when he arrived and you're like, Oh wow, this guy's a little bit different. It was, you know what? It was at training camp and he was a different, it was different just, he was the first overall pick and I could only imagine the pressure that he was on under. I mean, he was expected to come in and, and save a franchise. And uh, I mean, that team that, that, that he was coming into still had a lot of good veteran mm-hmm. players. And I mean, they were, they just, again, they, we were, we were kind of dysfunctional. We weren't quite, um, we weren't kind of led uh, in, 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 in my mind, you know, from the top, we, there was a lot of young players there that, that uh that needed a significant one guy leader and um and it just wasn't happening in buffalo at that time but uh when when pierre came in there he sort of uh he was able to take that team on his shoulders contribute very early in his career and 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 just roll with it and some uh some very fun some very fun times were were watched and and competed with with him as one of the leaders. Talking to Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, former Stanley Cup champion, or rather, always a Stanley Cup champion, a former NHL player. Uh, We actually have a question coming in to do the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox for you, Ken, from Tim in South Surrey. Uh, Can you expand on keeping players accountable? So you're a pro players, and how do you keep another pro accountable, and, and what goes on in the dressing room? You know what? It's, it's, it, what goes on in the dressing room is is it's never personal, right? You got to understand that that there's a bunch of personalities there that are they're not all the same, and but they are very very driven, and um, to be in that league uh, for any amount of time, uh, your mind is at a different level, and your your compete level is at a different level, and there are some guys there. I, I can only imagine, say, Connor McDavid as at the level that he's at and how he holds people accountable. You watch players like him and the efforts that they give uh, in practice, in games, in the training room, I mean, day in and day out, how these guys motivate each other. Um, you know, if you're if you're not at your best one day, you know, or during a game, there are people in that locker room, whether they have A's or C's on their jersey, that are that are basically telling you to, hey, get your head up here, right? Like we're we need you to play. Like this is not good enough. What you're doing is not good enough. It does happen that way. It doesn't happen necessarily as a verbal attack on one single individual, but mm-hmm. uh, I have seen that happen, and um, it does. It motivates you. I mean, they're all competitive. They all want to win and. That's why they say some of these these the, the fans come in with questions about you know team tanks and all this kind of stuff. You're never going to be able to convince me that a professional athlete in any mind whatsoever is ever going to want to lose a game. It's just not in. It's just not. The, it's just not your makeup. Um, you're going out there no matter what to put 110 percent in and uh, and winning a hockey game. And sometimes it doesn't happen, but it's not to the lack of trying for sure. Were you ever approached on a on, on a tough conversation that 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 you had to uh, adapt to a new environment? Uh, meaning effort wise, just whatever it was. Like if, if we're talking about you know players keeping each other accountable, was ever were you ever approached yeah. of like, hey, this has to change? 
I was, we were approached as a group, as the young guys, right. I was definitely approached that way. I, I personally, I was never uh, a, a, a victim of something like that, but, and I don't say victim. I, I was never, I was never had singled out. Right. I, I always never singled out. I always thought that I was, you know, at least giving it up. There's sometimes where it didn't happen, but I was never that way. But as a group of young guys that, uh, you know, were third or fourth liners at times that said, Hey, you got to pick this guys up where are, you know, we're not going today. We need you to produce more. We need you to get active. We need you to get into the forecheck. You know, we need you to make big hits. We need to get this this team going. And sometimes that was all it took. It took uh, a young group, uh, one line going out and making some contact and keeping the puck in the offensive zone for 30, 40 seconds. It just motivates the bench. And um, and that's, that's kind of where uh, that was the only time that I ever had that happen to me. Great stuff, Ken. Uh, we appreciate it as always. Enjoy the week. Uh, we'll connect next week. Yeah, take care, guys. It's our guy, Ken Priestley from Mr. Fix-It, Dunbar Lumber, two-time cup champion, former NHLer, every Thursday here on The People Show alongside uh, Brad May, who if you missed earlier, uh, you can catch it on the podcast, The People Show podcast, wherever you grab your pods, Apple, Spotify, Google, always appreciate it. Slap that uh, five-star rating, drop a review as well, always helps. Thank you very much to Brad and to Ken. And also subscribe to all the other pods as well. Halford and Bruff, Canucks Central, Canucks Talk, PDO Cast as well. A couple of minutes left before we hand it over to Canucks Central. Uh, big shout out to, by the way, to Richard for uh, the winning caller for the KISS tickets. Uh, one more pair to give away tomorrow. Uh, again, tickets are available at Ticketmaster.ca. Uh, Dom's been walking around with a giddy smile all day today, not just because Manchester United won. Nervous smile, nervous smile. Nervous? Are, are you not optimistic like the rest of the New York Jets? I don't want to uh, set it? myself up for uh So I, I saw the report tashed. today Yeah, from uh, Diana Rossini uh, from ESPN reporting uh, there's some uh, optimism in the Jets' brass that they are on the brink of landing uh, Aaron Rodgers. I feel like the Jets right now just need to shut up. Just like you've you've done your sales pitch, don't win the public. Yeah, you've had a good first date. Don't ruin it by going home and sending a thousand text messages. Don't no, no not even that. Like if if that's between you and the other person, okay. If you were just like message Aaron Rodgers, like hey, we're excited for this. That's I can understand that. Don't go to Twitter and be like, great first date. Think I found the one? Because you know what happens if if Aaron Rodgers says no, you're gonna look pretty foolish. Yeah. And the thing I'm worried about this is, and I said it on, uh, yesterday, like, are the New York Jets the type of organization that can handle a high-maintenance player? And I want to be clear, like, high-maintenance isn't necessarily bad because Aaron Rodgers, if, if maintained, is worth it. We've seen him win Super Bowls. Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. We've seen him win MVPs. The Packers maintained him for a long time, and it worked really well. And I just think they're done with it. It still might continue, but you have to be able to handle that part of it, too. And I don't like the idea of the New York Jets coming out and saying, we are optimistic. Like, just chill a little bit. Let this play out a bit. Let the guy make his decision. You don't need to get ahead of the story. Technically, they didn't say it. It's just a report from Diana you can You can shut up about it, though. If, if someone's asked me, like, hey, are you guys optimistic? No comment. We're waiting this out. They're so eager to be puff their chest out and be like, look at us, we're the New York Jets. Don't have a track record of doing this. I think that's just, just Woody Johnson. Just Okay, but that's the problem in this. I know. Uh, trust me, I'm aware. 
Poor ownership. I like Robert Sala. We've talked about him, obviously. I think he'll be part of the maintaining of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. But once you acquire this guy, he's going to become the most powerful person in your organization. And yeah. what, what's going to happen is he's going to have a direct line to ownership. And we just saw that how that worked in Denver. I'd be a little concerned about that. And it's it's not that the personnel and Joe Douglas and Robert Sala can't maintain. It's who's the weakest link and can that person do it? And if it's the owners, I have my reservations of this working out. I think it does work out. If But you got the green colored colored glasses. I on. do. Of course I do. With the airplane wings but coming off the side. Everyone, not everyone, but like a lot of people have compared this to what happened with Russell Wilson this year. This last past season. It, it won't it won't be that. It it's just more about the like what's the power dynamic in the organization? And if Aaron Rodgers gets traded for, he's the most powerful person in the organization. That's just what happens. As much as Robert Sala can be like, hey, we're gonna lay down the law. You, you, you're trading a lot to go get this guy for a specific reason. You're putting it all on Aaron Rodgers. You are. And it's it's Super Bowl or bust for one or two years. And he's going to have all the power in his hands. And he is. And you're going to have to deal with, hey, maybe don't go on the Pat McAfee show now. And it's like, what? No, but, I am. But when was the last time the New York Jets were Super Bowl or bust? Sure. I'll but, take that trade off. You're now putting heightened expectations, which is – Fantastic! Like you should aspire for more, but you also have to deal with this other component. Of course, and it's going to be a lot to juggle for the New York Jets if they pull off a trade. Do we know when is he, is he going to do another four day darkness street? I think it's just one and done. What do you think that meeting was like? By the way, do you think they walked in and be like, "Hey, Aaron," and be like, "Yeah, can we turn on the lights?" By all accounts, down? they went to the Malibu. They went to Lucky Restaurant. Lights off, please. No, no electronics. It's like Aaron, we have a PowerPoint. You need to think about the point of power in this conversation. All right, I don't think it was the, like that. The illusions no. of power. It's probably something similar. Probably I don't think that's similar. what it was. I think you're just playing games now. Uh, we'll hand it over to uh, our power team. Canuck Central, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. They're on the way on a Thursday here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.